Hey everybody, this is Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. This is a big one for me. I had a chance to speak with Colin Hay, former lead singer of Men at Work. He's been a singer-songwriter for the past few decades. He has a new album coming out on the 18th called Now and the Evermore. I had a chance to listen to it. It's absolutely fantastic. But what else would you expect from Colin's solo work? We talk about, obviously, the album. We talk about his previous work. He released a covers album last year during the pandemic. We talk about his time during the pandemic. His time with Men at Work, the demise of the band, how his solo career got started, and how instrumental Zach Braff was in his career. Colin's such a really nice guy, and I'm so psyched that I was able to talk to him, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So Colin, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice to be with you. Yeah, so... We're approaching like just about two years now with the pandemic. What's the last two years been like for you? Oh, it's been pretty good, really. Um, I mean, I only I, I managed to avoid getting COVID until <clears throat> until a few weeks ago. Oh wow! Okay. So I got it. The whole band and crew got it over Christ, between Christmas and New Year. So. Uh, you know, I figure that was, if you were going to get COVID, that was the time to get it, really, right. when, when I was vaccinated twice and boosted. So yeah, symptoms symptoms were mild, um, you know, lost taste and smell a little bit, which hasn't kind of fully returned. But apart from that, my symptoms were pretty mild, which is, I'm certainly glad if you, that I got it now, as opposed to, you know, a couple of years ago when there was no vaccine and right. you know you could you could end up uh, you know in a, on a ventilator and worse so um but uh at the start of the pandemic it was of course uh you know fraught with with uh you know just insecurity about what what really was going <clears> to <throat> what really was going to happen because we it would it, it would have said, seemed that you know we hadn't really gone through anything like that but of course, people had gone through things like that before, right. whether it's smallpox or polio or measles or, or going, going back, you know, hundreds of years or, or 100 years anyway. So um, when I came home, when the tour got cancelled, I found that um, I just had to stay home. And um, <clears throat> so I was, I was horrified by the number of people who were dying from COVID, but at the same time, I felt immense relief that I could actually stay at home and just spend some time uh, with um, my family and friends and and uh, and work in the studio. So, you know, I was I was lucky. So, and you actually put out two albums uh, during the time uh, the, the latest one now and the Evermore is coming out. Uh, just about a month from now, uh, I was able to hear it. It's, it's fantastic. And the uh, the lead single, the title track, uh, Now and Evermore, you had Ringo Starr perform on it, playing drums. You know, you played with him and, and his band. But growing up, did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine you'd be playing with the Beatles? No. Well, I did ask my father when I was about 10 if I could be in the Beatles. Right. And he told me that I couldn't. <laughs> So, um, so no, it's one of those, those the randomness of the universe, if you like, you know, um, 
but uh, I'm glad that he asked me to play with him. Uh, I think it's probably 19 or something, 19 years ago right. or something. Um, long time ago now. <clears throat> um, and, um, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing that he does because he has different people playing with him all the time and he's managed to keep that sustained, you know, for the last 30 years, which is pretty remarkable, really. Right. You know, to keep just going out on the road and to, to um, keep playing to people, keep attracting new crowds and new audiences and old audiences, new audiences with different, different musicians. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be part of it, you know. Yeah, like you know, I've heard people say that the Beatles are, are the greatest job creators in the arts because everyone saw them perform at Sullivan or wherever, and then like this is what I want to do in my life. Did you kind of have that feeling as well? Yeah, well, I I grew up in a music shop, so I I was aware of them. You know, probably right. You know, well, probably when everyone else when everyone else was, but right. my father had a, had a music store, so. Um, I would get the, the singles would come in and on a Monday and so you'd hear them hear them every week and there seemed to be a Beatles a new Beatles record every you know with with great regularity you know and and I liked I really liked the sequence of of singles and albums that happened in Britain because that was really how they wanted them to be you know in, in right. America of course they always change things around and you know you, you could you could argue mess it up you know right of course <laughs> because the sequence the sequence of singles and albums that happened in britain was i mean you could just really see the 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 growth and the beauty and the 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 uh intricacy of the the um the depth of the of the songwriting and so forth grow with each record you know it was fantastic to to listen to and to every time you would be waiting for a beatles record to come out and it would never never ever disappoint you know yeah. so yeah it was it was they they had the, they had that gift they gave us all a gift that just keeps on giving it was a, it was a it, it was um they gave it to us all you know especially when you watch the get back uh, again right. you can think wow it's just it's um extraordinary um that those four people came together and and did what they did because they were all i mean they were all fantastic in their own right you know they're all you know standalone musicians and yeah. standalone people <laughs> you know and very very talented and interesting in their own right but you put them together and it was um definitely you know greater than the sum of the parts you know yeah and you've been giving us a gift the last couple of decades with, with, with your music and, you know, the, the latest uh, single, you know, I mentioned before, Now in the Evermore, you had a line in the song saying, uh, nobody gets a sequel, everyone gets shown the door. Woke up Sunday morning Salvation Army at my door Playing onward Christian soldiers Till I couldn't take it anymore I ran across the graves at night With those three witch 
fishes at my tail I heard the wail of the now and the evermore All things are never equal And I don't know who is keeping the score Nobody gets a sequel, no Everyone gets shown the door Did you expect like your career to get a sequel after like you know the band broke up and you got dropped after the two solo albums by MCA? Um, well, when I got dropped by MCA, it was really um, I, I had to start again, really. So I felt a couple of things. I felt rejected. You know, you felt you have a sense of rejection because you're getting dropped by a label, so you think, well, and and of course. You know, the way it happened was, was really kind of tawdry, you know, the, the way labels drop you is really unseemly, you know, they, 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 have, they, have no, they have no sense of honor or anything. Right. You know? <laughs> and the guy that signed me was, you know, who I thought, he didn't even, he didn't even have the balls to do it himself, wow. you know, he got somebody else to do it, you know. But anyway, you have a sense of rejection and... Um, but then you also have a sense of relief because I just thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm starting again. And I was in a new, I was in a new country. Um, I was here, a, a new place. I was 
in California. I just moved to California and I, um, I'd given up drinking and I could still play and sing. So I thought, well, you know, off I go, you know, and um, uh, what tends to happen is that well, what happened to me is it, when you've had kind of immense commercial success, you, you, you tend to have that as a yardstick and you think, well, I want to get back to that. That's where I belong. You know, I want to have be number one and I want to have hit records and everything. But it became pretty clear to me pretty quickly that that really wasn't perhaps going to happen. You know, I was I was over 40. As far as major labels go, I was past my use-by date. But I had an audience because I would go out right. and play live and people would come and see me play. And so I just decided that that's really what I was going to do. I was going to keep making records because I love making records. And also the fans that came to see me play they were they were really interested in what I was doing today, you know, not what I was necessarily doing yesterday. There was always there's always going to be people that come along to hear the Men at Work songs and there's right. big songs, and I'll always play them. And there's, you know, I don't run away from them or anything. But most of the people that would come and see me were were hungry for what I was doing now, you know. So that was very encouraging to me. Yeah. Did you like? I mean, because you probably, like you mentioned, have two camps of fans, the ones who are with you with the band and probably the ones who discovered your solo work via like Garden State or Scrubs or something like that yeah. and didn't know that you were in a band, you yeah. know, before your solo work. And then people vice versa saying, wow, he's still performing, you know, after Men at Work, yeah. I didn't hear anything. So it's, it's kind of yeah. it's got to be like kind of funny to have those two, you know, camps like that. Yeah, I was in a I was in a. Um... <clears throat> excuse me i was in a coffee a coffee shop in um springfield illinois and there was a guy two guys serving coffee and um it was on tour and and there was one guy was about 45 years old and the other guy was about 20 and the old and the young guy said to me oh hey man i love your music i said oh thanks he goes yeah overkill's my favorite song and i said oh thanks and then the older guy looked at the young guy and he said, you know who that is? And he said, yeah, he's on Scrubs. And the other guy goes, Scrubs? What is Scrubs? He was in Men at Work. And the young guy goes, the young guy said, what's Men at Work? <laughs> but they didn't really know, you know, right. that, that was the example of what you're talking about. So, but I think that uh, as time goes on, uh, those two camps, if you like, are kind of, it's not so, um, you know, it's not so obvious a, a thing anymore. You know, just people come along and they know about men at work and they know the solo things. And so they all, all the songs tend to live together, you know. I mean, there's probably about, there's probably about five or six men at work songs that people are very familiar with. And there's probably about five or six solo songs that people are really mm -hmm. familiar with, you know, that they, that they want to hear whenever they come to see me play, you know. And then there's all... You know, you always try and do new songs as well, just right. because you know you have to, because otherwise you're you're just you know walking in your old footsteps. You know. Yeah. Now, the prior to the new album coming out, you released a cover covers album, which was great. I don't know what to do myself, and you covered one of my favorite uh, Delamitri songs on, on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you had a great like variety of songs on that uh, album. Uh, how long did it take you to determine what songs you wanted to play? Were there any like songs that you tried 
performing a recording and it just didn't work so you kind of like left them off the album no it was just one of those records that went down really quickly because um i was i was making it with my friend chad fisher who um i wasn't even planning to make a covers record i just I just recorded Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying because I was sitting here yeah. right in the spot where I am now practicing these major seventh chords. And <laughs> right. sound, like reading about Jerry Marsden, who had just died. And so I, I just was playing Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying. So I recorded that, just guitar and voice, and sent that to Chad. He goes, oh, this sounds really good. So he orchestrated it and he said, send me some more. So every day I would just get up and go, oh, okay. I would just think about a particular song I didn't want to, you know, have huge lists of songs to, you know, and look at lists of songs to choose right. from or do obscure songs that, <clears throat> so I decided to record songs that had meant something to me uh, growing up or in different parts of my life. So um, I remember leaving, leaving the UK and Waterloo Sunset was playing through the sound system. So I, uh, I decided to record that. Wichita Lyman was a great, was, I became so obsessed with the Jimmy Webb songs that right. Glenn Campbell made hits with, like, you know, Galveston, and by the time I get to Phoenix, and Wichita Lyman, and um, and then there was uh, uh, the Beatles songs, I'd, I'd actually had them recorded, actually, I'd, but I just, hmm. I just would, had recorded them, just yeah. for something to do a, a couple of years ago, so, and um, Can't Find My Way Home was one of those, just those songs that I always loved, because I was, you know, teaching myself guitar around that time and 69 and, um, you know, playing a lot of acoustics and I had a nylon strung guitar and that was a beautiful, just a beautiful song that um, Steve Winwood came up with and he, I, I'm guessing that both he and Clapton played the guitars mm -hmm. on it, so it was a, 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 a nice song to attempt to play. Um, and, um, uh, the Delamitri song you mentioned was um, when I first, when I moved to California and I was used to play down at Largo, I think around 92, 93, uh, when the, when the Delamitri album came out. Right. Um, what was the name of that record? Um, well, the, the song was um, Driving the Brakes yeah, no, On. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the album. Yeah. Drawing a I blank right now. Anyway, so, um, but I would put that album on and um, and listen to it on the way home. And just by the time when I was coming through the, up the S curves near where I live, yeah. that song was playing. Just yeah. always used to. That was a lot. I think that was the last track of the record. Driving through the long night, trying to figure who's right. It belted up tight. She sucks on a match light, going bronze, steering on. And I might be more a man if I stopped this in its tracks and said, Come on, let's go home. But she got the wheel and I've got nothing 
Twisted was the name of the album. Twisted, right? Yeah. Um, um, but what a what a monumental song that is! You know, it's a it's a it's a beast. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful song that I love it. Yeah, because Delmetri, like in the states, really known for like one or two songs, unfortunately, and then you know that song wasn't released as a single, which is, you know, it's a fantastic song. So driving with the brakes on both versions, Colin and uh, mm. Justin Curry's, you know, versions are, are, are tremendous, but 
you hit like some of your like men at work songs work so well acoustically have you like whether ones that you try to do acoustically also that just you know just don't well, work like things like be good johnny i mean I d- i've done it but it right. doesn't work so well acoustically yeah. or, or you know the more the more rock songs don't work so well um but um you know i, I played down by the sea which is like a big hippie yeah. song you know yep. and that kind of works and it's a mistake works too like that but um Yeah, I think that the ones that I play acoustically are the ones that really, I think, you know, work the best. Um, and I think that the ones that work like that tend to be the songs that were written that way, you know. <clears throat> Just sitting down with an acoustic guitar and playing them. Right. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> like, the best one probably is Overkill, which, you know, both versions, the one on the other heard on the radio on cargo and then obviously the acoustic one is fantastic and it works and featured in scrubs i can get to sleep i think about the implications of diving in too deep and possibly the complications especially at night i worry over situations I know we'll be all right Perhaps it's just imagination Day after day it reappears Night after night my heartbeat shows the fear Ghosts appear and fade streets smell the desperation at least there's pretty lights though there's little variation it nullifies the night from overkill day after day it reappears night after night Heartbeat shows the fear and goes to beer and fade away. Come back another i 
How did like Zach Brack, I want to say rediscovered you or, you know, but like heard about you and kind of wanted to get your music first, I guess, in Garden State and then in Scrubs. Well, it was in Scrubs first, actually. It was, it was, um, we have a mutual, couple of mutual friends. And um, I remember meeting Zach at a party uh, one night before he was in Scrubs. And um he just got that gig actually and, and said, Oh, I'm, I've got this TV show. I'm going to be the star of it. I said, Oh, good man. He said, I'll take your CDs in there and see if I can get some on the, on the show. So he, he had a couple of CDs of mine that he liked. And so he took them into Bill Lawrence and, you know, um, lobbied to have these songs in the show. So they used, I think they, they used, one or two songs and then he was writing Garden State and said he wanted to use the I just don't think I'll ever get over you and um, so those two guys Zach and Bill Lawrence um, who were involved with Scrubs they they really helped uh, put you know a younger a younger uh, new and a, and a younger uh, life into my into my live especially into my live audience you know um, and that was really lovely. It was really good because, I mean, I always knew that I had fans out there in that demographic, if you like, right. but it's always tricky to, to act, to, you know, to, to know how to access them. And, you know, and I wasn't, then I wasn't getting played on the radio. Well, I still don't get played on the radio. And that's always, so the TV was a, was a fantastic medium to do that. And, and especially on a TV show, which was kind of, kind of well-known, but it was still, uh, it was a cool show and it was also a little bit culty, you know, so it was a really good song to be, a really good show to be involved with, you know? Yeah. So I interviewed a Carrie Brothers a couple of months ago and he was yeah. kind of similar like you where Garden State, the music on Scrubs never gets played on the radio and just, you know, a great singer songwriter. It's just like, why aren't your songs played on the radio? I mean, I just, just don't get the whole political. Is it just, they're not aware of it is it just the record label i mean like what what do you think why oh well you know i i if i knew the answer to that i would be right I, someone would give me an awful lot of money you know yeah i really don't know the answer to that i mean i i would pitch songs to to radio stations and you know songs that would really that people would really love you know and you know they would yeah but, uh, they just don't play them so i I've got no idea, really. Yeah. But I, I stopped really, I stopped worrying about that or getting upset about that or, or getting, trying to figure it out a long time ago because um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really serve you, you know, to try, yeah. and, to try and figure it out because um, it's, it's, it's probably just probably not going to happen, you know? Right. Your, your first solo album, Looking for Jack, <laughs> I, I really, really like. Um, yeah. I don't know why it didn't do well because it's it's a fantastic record. Uh, what's the background behind the title track? 
Everybody's always looking for Jack In the fire and Everybody's always looking for Jack And the streets and all Yes, I wanted to be like Jack Still for me Everybody's always looking for Jack In the streets and on the corners yeah, Even Jack, he's always looking for Jack He's always in another room And when I spoke to the woman there She said he left this afternoon Involves, it involved uh, when I first came to, when I was here in Los Angeles in, in, uh, in 1986 um, or 1985, 1986 it was, and um, I was um, working on the Looking for Jack record and I had all these songs and I had this idea for a song, which was, um, based around the idea that a lot of people in Los Angeles seem to be looking for something. Everyone comes to Los Angeles to realize their hopes and dreams. And, uh, but I couldn't quite, I had the, I had the music and I had the, this idea of looking for, looking for. And um, 
but I couldn't really figure out. I wanted to kind of have it one word about what people were looking for because that was going to fit, you know, rhythmically and, right. and musically with what I was doing. So I was, um, I was, you know, wandering around doing that, you know, for, for a few weeks, kind of trying to figure this out. And anyway, I was at a show, I was at a concert and I saw, um, I was at the Greek theatre and I saw Jack Nicholson standing at the mixing desk and I, I said to him, uh, excuse me, Mr. Nicholson, uh, I just want to, my name's Colin Hay, I just want to say I'm a great big fan of yours. And he said, he looked up at me and he said, um, uh, I, can't, I, I can't hear you. And I got a little bit embarrassed and kind of thought oh, I wouldn't bother him anymore. So I went, right. into the, I went into the green room and I was standing talking to these three girls and uh, the green room door opened and Jack came in and he came straight up to me and said, um, I just want to say I'm a great big fan of yours too. Oh, wow. And I, I felt elated, you know, very excited because I just met Jack and he, he yeah. said this word to me. So, and then he wandered off, he walked off and, um, and I was still, and the girl was still talking to me. I was still talking to this girl, but I was distracted. I kept on looking over his shoulder and she said, what are you doing, Colin? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll have to excuse me. I was just looking for Jack. And she said, yeah, everybody's always looking for Jack. And I thought, thank you very much. Right. <laughs> and and uh, so I just went off then, and that that gave me the that gave me the beautiful uh, idea for this. You know, that finished the idea for the song because that's really, if I thought about it, that's that's what everybody, that's who everybody wants to be if they come to Los Angeles. They want it because there's you know nobody cooler than Jack. So he was the physical representation of of what uh, Los Angeles. Uh, means and meant to so many people did you ever run into him afterwards uh no oh okay yeah has i mean has, i i i i saw him i saw him a few times but right. i never i never was in that sphere you know yeah yeah how has like your songwriting process changed over the decades or has it not really i don't think it's really changed uh I mean, I probably try and I'm probably a bit more serious about it now than I used to be, because I think that maybe, you know, maybe I, I um, maybe that maybe I could, you know, try it for a living. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where you kind of, I just started playing music originally because I didn't want to, I didn't want to join the workforce, you know, right. I wanted to just be, uh, I didn't want to be part of the straight world, you know really i still don't to be honest <laughs> and um but i i um well I, I i record things now on my phone a lot you know ideas and then i listen to them and i um work on songs probably with a bit more discipline than i used to mm -hmm. Try and try and uh, say more with less, and try and do more, do more, do different mm -hmm. things and more interesting things than what I've done before. But you know, you just try, you just try and get better, don't you? Or whatever it is you do, otherwise you might as well not bother. Yeah. Have you ever experienced like writer's block? Yeah. Well, I, 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 um. Yeah, I do. I do suffer from that. Sometimes you have an idea for a song and it sits there for years. 
you know, and you just think, oh, yeah, I can't finish this. And, and then all of a sudden, either you finish it or you maybe bring somebody else mm-hmm. in and say, what do you think about this? And they'll go, why don't you do this? And you go, oh, why didn't I think of that? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the... Um, Usually the, the, the best ideas or songs that I find are, 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 are song ideas that, that come into your come into your 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 head or come into you start thinking about either a musical idea or a lyrical idea. And they just keep they just keep running, it keeps running around in your head, you know, and, and you just kind of let it germinate a little bit and let it take hold and then you then you kind of follow follow that idea where it leads. And um and then it tends to, you know, some songs, you know, you have to work hard at and they still end up being good. But generally speaking, you know, the ones you have to, the ones you have to, you know, wrestle to the ground, you know, sometimes are a little bit, maybe there's a problem there somewhere. You know? Were any of the hits <clears throat> like in Men at Work hard to write? No. Well, who can it be now? Is very quick to write. They're all about, you know. I make a joke about forty minutes. Down under, down under was one of those songs where I I had a little cassette tape from Ron, the other guitar player right. in the band, the other co-writer of the song, and um, he just gave me a cassette. Uh, he used to give me cassettes to listen to of little ideas that he had recorded at home on his on his Porter studio, you know. And um, and this I this little idea that he had was just this hypnotic little and had a little little uh, percussive thing that he was playing and um, like the start and so I found it intriguing and so I was, when I was driving around I'd be saying living in a land down under and that's all I had you know for maybe five or six weeks and um, I would put that tape on and say living in a land down under and then, um, and then just one day um, I got up and um, 40 minutes later, I just wrote it down. I wrote, I wrote the, you know, the, the yeah. verses and the choruses and the chordal structure and everything. It just kind of was there, you know, in about 40 minutes. And then I thought, oh, there you go. So sometimes you just, like I say, it just, it bounces around your head for a while. And then it's like a door opens and you go, oh, there it is, you know. They're good. It's good when that happens. Yeah. Has your relationship with Down Under changed like after like the lawsuit? Traveling in a fighter combi On a hippie trail head full of zombies I met a strange lady She made me nervous I said, do you speak my language? 
better you know it's it's been i mean i i really love the song and it's, it's a clean song you know in the sense that you know i know that i wrote the song be, you know before men at work existed and before right. the the flute riff existed and, and and so forth so i have no um you know i don't guilt or anything about yeah. the fact i know that i you know nothing was taken there were two bars of kookaburra that ended up in the, in the men at work version of the song but that they're not it's not part of the composition of the song you know right um but um so yeah i think that probably my relationship with down under intensified over the years and because really the songs that you write they live inside you you know they don't really they don't really live outside of you um i don't think anyway um especially if you're you especially if you continue to play them so um yeah it's a it's a very yeah we're the best of pals really now with another iconic song who can it be now the sax riff at the beginning which is iconic it's one of the most iconic uh like opening yeah. songs ever i think um whose idea was that to include that in the beginning as well as like you know the middle of the song Yeah. 
Well, it was originally a guitar, played on the guitar, and um, which didn't, didn't have the same effect as the saxophone. Right. And um, Peter McKee and the record producer uh, suggested, you know, opening with a drum fill, you know, and and the sax and the sax hook because. Um, Previous to that, when we would be playing live and stuff, the sax saxophone hook didn't really uh, didn't really appear in the song until later on, you know. So he he moved it up the front of the song, which was really great because if you're as if you're putting that in, in front of radio programmers and so forth, that's the, that's the first thing they hear. It's immediately it immediately grabs them, you know. Were you? able to enjoy or just like take in how big you guys were at the time because it just went by so quickly were you able to sit back and enjoy it for a moment not really i mean i mean i i enjoyed it i i knew i knew how amazing it was and how phenomenal it was in the true sense of the word you know the fact that not that doesn't happen doesn't happen to very many people right. you know but at the same time, it wasn't a particularly, you know, it wasn't a particularly happy band or, you know, it wasn't that much fun, you know, in, in, <laughs> right. in, when, we were touring, when we were touring here, you know. I mean, it should have been, but um, yeah. we should have really been on top of the world. Um, but instead of that, it was fraught with, um, you know, people wanting to sack this guy and, you know, a couple of the people in the band uh, wanted to sack uh, the, the manager, and right. but it was just kind of it was tedious. It was it was a, a huge thing which was you know kept really yeah. small uh, to my mind, yeah. in my mind, you know. So um, I um, yeah, it was an, it was an amazing it was a really amazing time, but it it um it could have been it could have been so much grander, you know, yeah. in many ways. <clears throat> Because like when bands break up, it's usually the lead singer leaves, you know, and then everyone else has to scramble or find a replacement. You were the last person left in the band, so it's kind of like the reverse. Yeah, yeah everyone left me basically. Yeah. Well, there was uh, the rhythm section got sacked, which was really probably a mistake in retrospect. Um, at least the way they were sacked, you know. But. Um, Yeah, as you say, the drummer and the bass player, Jerry and John, they didn't right. they didn't like Russell, and they they wanted to you know they wanted to put him on a wage instead of you know him being a commissioned manager because they said he wasn't a real manager, and, and you know we were none of us were real anything you know we'd conquered <laughs> the world together you know yeah, and Russell was my friend so I wasn't I wasn't about to sack him or or do what they wanted right. so so they were basically sacking themselves you know they yeah. were saying well you know they go well you know this is that's what i want and i'm you know became spinal tap you know i'm gonna get my sister i'm gonna get my sister to manage me right okay well great well yeah off you off you go yeah <laughs> so so they got sacked and and um four of us kept going but really um men at work truth be told um was those five people and Russell. Yeah, right. That, that was what meant at what was. And you know, maybe if if 
the bass player had left or someone had left, you could, they, you know, could have been replaced with somebody and we had to keep going. But, um, but after, after we, the big tour of 83, I, I didn't really want to be in Men at Work anymore. And I, don't, I know that Ron didn't want to be in Men at Work. As right. a matter of fact, Ron never even really liked Men at Work that much, to be honest. And, uh, you know, so halfway through the third record, he just went home and never mm. came back. And uh, he liked, I think, Ron liked, I think, what we did before Men at Work, okay. uh, which was more interesting to him, I think. And it was pretty interesting what we did together, just the two of us. <clears throat> but, um, and then when the third record came out and didn't do anything, Greg just said, ah, yeah. there's no point anymore, you know? Right. And he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so he yeah. walked away. And so, yeah, it was just me and... Um, and I felt good. I felt relieved that it was done, you know. Did you ever consider just reforming the band when you artists or he was like, nah, I'm just going to start my solo career now. Yeah, I did. I, I never thought about doing that. No, I just, I just, well, interestingly, I, the first record I made, I made it with Robin Miller, the English record producer. And, and I think that he was, you know, he was told that he was going to be making a minute work record by our manager, Russell. So I don't know why he was told that but it was never really going to be a minute work record as far as i was concerned um because you know minute work was done you know but um and then i ended up calling it colin james hey because that's my name that i that's my name for one thing but i used to go by that name before minute work when i would play solo gigs but that was ultimately a mistake i think you know because confused people more than anything so I should have probably just put it out as Colin Hay, mm. or you know, and or I should have just you know made it, put it out as Men at Work, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that could have worked as well. Uh, who knows? But um, but I, I think that at that particular time, uh, emotionally, <laughs> um, I just wanted to be on my own. You know, right. I, didn't, I didn't want to be in a band anymore. Really. Yeah, because. Even the, the third album was pretty good, just you and Greg. I mean, it was, did it really get well, a chance? It, it was pretty good, Ron as well. Okay, uh, halfway through, right? Yeah, Ron had, he would be played on the record, but, um, but, um, but by the time it came out, he was gone. Okay. Yeah. Cause the, well, still, I, good songs on it. Yeah. Some good I, songs on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Greg's, Greg's song, uh, Still Life, is an yeah, amazing song. I love that song.
You don't have a version of that, right? Do you ever play that? No, but maybe I should. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because yeah. that was one of his songs he wrote as well, right? He wrote it himself. Yeah. 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 He did quite a lot of songs on that record. Right? Yeah. Like, who, who sacked the guys? What, was it your management or like? No, it was, it was, it was, it was the three of us and, and, okay. and Russell, four of us. Yeah. There was only, there was only us making decisions. There was nobody okay. else making decisions. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just wondering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was you... only it was only like I, I didn't want to work with Jerry anymore because oh, okay. he was Jack Russell and, right. and then the other guy said to me, "Oh, we don't want to work with John." So they ended up getting sacked. Uh, and you know what we should have really done is probably just sit down with everyone and try and hash out the whatever problems we yeah. had. Right. But we didn't do that. We didn't do that. You know? Yeah. And that's where that's where Russell's shortcomings came to you know came to the four because really he was my guy he, he right. didn't you know to be honest he didn't really care about anybody else really yeah. and um but he should have realized as a manager part of his job is to try and keep the thing together you know right yeah uh, absolutely so of all the men at work songs you've written which one's your favorite do you have one um Well, I'll, I'll always have a soft spot for Overkill. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my favorite. I'm sure it's everyone's favorite because it's such a, it's a fantastic song. Yeah, it's a, it's a haunting song when you do it uh, acoustically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's got some nice. It's got some nice changes. It goes to interesting places. Yeah. Now, back to the, the new album, because like I want people to hear it when it comes out uh, March 18th, in which it's uh, real soon. Uh, Love is Everywhere. I think that's probably my favorite song on the album.
Exactly. Yeah, it's um, that was uh, um, mainly uh, mainly written by Michael Georgiadis, my friend that lives up the road from right. me, and uh, he came around with that uh, musical idea, and he had "Love Is Everywhere." That's all he had. He comes in, he plays it, and goes "Love Is Everywhere." That's, <laughs> that's what I got, and um, and so I got excited by it. I really loved it, and so I loved the idea of the fact that. Um, you know, it was it was just to counter what was really going, you know, what was going on and is still going on uh, in in the world, especially here in the United States. So not not really here in the United States; it's everywhere, really. Yeah. Hatred and and fear and horrendous violence of all kinds, you know, in different parts of the world. 
<clears throat> so it was really a song to try and counter that idea of the fact that if you look around, there is evidence of, of, of love no matter which no matter where you look, whether it's in nature or whether it's in uh, you know human world, animal world, whatever whatever uh, just the fact that we're this planet you know in the middle yeah. of this black universe you know right. and you think to yourself, wow is that, if that's not you know evidence of love, I don't know what is you know um, because we here alone you know it's it's like why would you not celebrate that every day yeah. you know it's, it's crazy. Right. So um, it was trying to get across that idea of, you know, you can sit, look, you know, you can sit and look at a tree's molecular structure and just just be in in, in, in awe and wonder of it of the of the of that. So um, that was that was where the where the idea for that song was. Um, I mean, I think that it's. <sighs> I'm not quite sure what it would seem when you read the news and you and you follow everything that's going on that there is you know increased horror in the world you right. know <laughs> but it, there probably isn't it, but it's just that perception you know if you go back a thousand or two thousand yeah. years probably a lot worse you know but it just seems there is so much um you know irrationality stupidity and and uh and um, needless pain and suffering and violence in the world that um, it just gets overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. I just think it was always, it's, it was always here. It's just now everything is televised and you can, everything is easier yeah, to in see. Yeah, real time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, speaking of the <clears throat> technology, um, record sales now are like, you know, artists don't make money from that. And, you know, streaming is, is great you know, for the fans, but not the artists. Like, what, what are your thoughts on like, you know, the streaming sites and how you get your music out now? Well, I think there's, you know, there's, there's opportunities. I, I, um, I'm lucky, you know, because I came up when there were physical sales. And so we sold a lot of records and, you know, I, 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 I did well in, in the sense that I can, you know, in a sense, down under has created a situation right. where I can I can make records now, and I, I don't. Uh, you know, it's enabled me to keep going to do what I'm to do what I'm doing, and not have to you know get a job as a waiter, for example. You know, right. Um. So I'm very lucky. Um. I mean, I think that the 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 tech titans, if you like, you know, the people that run, whether they're running Spotify or yeah. what's his name, Daniel Ek or all, yeah. those, all those guys. I mean, it's a, it's a cutthroat business and, and I think that they are, they're, you know, the artist is doing what they can to survive. They don't get paid much. They don't get really paid that much through, you know, through through streaming and unless you're a big star, then you can then you do well. But it's mm. like it's, it's like uh, it's like a lot of things. I mean, I think that a few people do very very well, and then most people do not. It's like it's like actors, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the top tier of actors do incredibly right. well, and then the rest, the ninety five percent struggle. Um, but I think that maybe um, from this point on, there has to be. 
engagement from people uh, and lobbying and however you can lobby, whether you have, whether you're alone or whether you have uh, 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 bodies of people who can, who can, who can lobby for, for more, for, for more uh, equitable royalties for artists um, may well happen down the line. But at the moment, it would seem that everyone's mm. struggling uh, to, to survive. I mean, even those <coughs> big tech companies like Spotify and who are the other, like Apple Music App, and Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, yep. There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to stay in business either. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm probably the wrong person. I, I, it's not like I spend every day worrying about that or thinking about um about what my what my um you know what my streaming sales are or what my right. what my streaming uh, income is um i just kind of wanted i just i just i'm more interested in really doing the work and yeah. creating the music and recording it and going out and playing it you know and i think about the battles that I want to fight. There may be some battles down the line that I still want to fight, but at the moment, um, you know, I'm 68. I think of a simple right. key. I've got to pick my. I've got to pick yeah, my battle. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yeah, I was. Um, I was in uh, Ackland Street, which is in St Kilda in Melbourne, where I was living. And I have who can it be now? Yeah. yeah. What about like the the weirdest place you heard one of your songs? What's that? What about like the the weirdest place you heard one of your songs? <clears throat> the weirdest place? Um. Let me just try and think. I'm not sure where the weirdest place would be. Um. I remember. This is this is not where I had this is not where I had the song, but but um, when my wife and I, when my first wife and I split up, she um, she went with her new boyfriend to to uh, Southeast Asia on a surfing trip, and um, took ages to get there. Apparently, twenty four hours or thirty six hours across boats and motorbikes, and she eventually got to this very remote little island with a couple of friends of hers. And, and they had they had one they had a rock box and they had one cassette tape and it was mine. And, uh, <laughs> she wrote to me. She said, "You know, I'll never get away from you." <laughs> but to me, I don't know. I don't know where to be this place. I mean, I, I hear my stuff all the time. I hear my, I hear every day. I hear Greg. I hear Greg in the supermarkets. You know. And, right. And, you know, sometimes I'm. It's a bit surreal. Um, uh, you know, I'm standing in the CVS line waiting to get medication, and then I hear my song on the radio. <laughs> it's always funny yeah like how do you react react to that or do you no i don't react i just yeah. I'm, I'm happy i go oh, there's me right there's me on the radio yeah <laughs> yeah well uh now in the evermore comes out march 18th it's a fantastic album i wish you success with it and i look forward to seeing you on tour again all right thank you bro nice to talk to you And a special thanks to Colin for joining me today. Go check out Now in the Evermore. It comes out March 18th. It is absolutely fantastic. You can follow him on Twitter at Colin Hay. 
His website is colinhay.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Basically wherever you can hear a podcast. A new episode comes in every week. Stay safe, everybody. See you then.